0: Hey, hey, this is Chase Masters, Masterson, host of Disco Nights, inviting you to join us every Sunday as the disco party continues with our fabulous guests. Like us. Like us.
1: Like you. And you, our audience, so we'll see you here next Sunday night. Bring your disco shoes.
0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Treksperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold.
2: Hey, I'm Mark A. Altman. And I'm Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious
0: Experts.
1: ABC premiere presentation. William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy take off on the Starship Enterprise and encounter the unknown and the unexplainable. <laughs> <laughs> Secure all stations. Systems overloading, Hunter. Captain, we've been seized by a tractor beam. Get ready for the unexpected. The ultimate human adventure, Star Trek, the motion picture.
0: And welcome to our next installment on our ongoing tribute to the 40th anniversary of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Forty years? Forty years. God. God, I wish I was alive to have known what it was like when Star (laughs) Trek came out in theaters. That must have been wonderful. God, I, I just, if only I was old enough.
2: Well... Someday.
0: Yeah, someday. (laughs) Someday when time travel is invented. Well, look, this is an exciting uh, episode because uh, we're going to deal with um, a fascinating, no pun intended, uh, part of the legacy, the ongoing legacy of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, of course, is the Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, which you were uh, very much involved with.
2: I was very much involved with, and the gentlemen that are our guests today uh, were, uh, were one big happy crew.
0: Well, we want to hear all about it, and, and we're really lucky to have with us um, the historian, a preservationist. Uh, uh, he's a brilliant soundtrack producer. His uh, uh, score for um, Dracula by John Williams just came out um, from uh, Varese Sarabande. It's uh, uh, just stunning. 1978, not 1979, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was the restoration supervisor for Star Trek: The Motion Picture Director's Edition. Uh, Michael Medicino. Hello, Michael. Hey, Mark. And hey, uh, hey. Jo- joining him is his uh, partner in crime on uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Um, he was the associate producer of King Kong. Been involved with uh, restoration work and um, many, many projects. Uh, he also was um, involved in uh, Robert Wise Productions and uh, basically uh, was the producer of the producer of, of 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 this uh, phenomenal uh, director's edition. Dave Fine is with us. Nice to see you guys. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, uh, look, I I think that for how would you explain this to to our, our audience? You know, obviously, we've all been huge advocates for um, Paramount revisiting the film for the 40th anniversary by um, giving you the opportunity to upgrade it to 4K, um, the definitive archival version. But, you know, the last version uh, was done. Was it about 10 years ago that when you first did this project?
2: It's a. Uh it's it's a little more than that, actually. Oh my
1: God! Wow. <laughs> well, we took uh, Bob for to the DGA for uh, 20th anniversary screening at our earliest talks. So, so that's yeah. that 19 years ago. ago yeah. So. Wow.
0: Well, l- l- you know, let's... it's
1: amazing how
3: 19 years have gone by, but we've all only aged five years. <laughs> <Right>. well,
2: <it's laughs>
0: yeah, that's what happens
3: when
2: you travel to- at light speed, the light speed uh, differential. Yes. Uh,
0: I want to. I want to say. You know, because sometimes we get ahead of our audience, assuming that they're uh, as up to speed on everything. Uh, uh, but it, like, can, can you guys sort of explain what the director's edition is and why it was necessary um, that this – director so many quote-unquote director's cuts or extended editions or a cash grab. This is a very different situation, um, and, and it was necessitated by the fact that uh, the very unique circumstances involving Star Trek, the motion picture –
1: the, the the film back in '79, there were a lot of difficulties during the production, from you know com- competing script revisions to uh, the effects were they were trying to go in new directions with Robert Abel and Associates, and it just turned into a play a, a race just to have the film finished. And with Star Wars, which uh, of course had come out in '79 uh, and changed everything for everybody, it became a um, the studio pre-sold the film, so it had to be finished on time and it had to be in theaters because they had so many tie-ins going on. And what ended up going into the theater was the best of what could be produced at the time, and there were places where visual effects had been put in from first frame to last frame and ships might not be moving, and it didn't have any chance to be fine-tuned or even properly completed. So what was released in 79... Was again what could be completed, and it's it's remarkable that it uh, had made had been successful. And even on television, there was points where uh, they felt that they needed to expand it. Gene Roddenberry had we found a memo that had uh, Gene's comments about what he wanted to have uh, changed before theatrical release. I believe was. Uh, the, the he point. wanted
3: to make changes for international release. And at that time, Bob Wise said, well, you know, the film is the film. It'll show a lack of confidence if we change it now. So let's just let it live. But he was never happy with it. And to back up a little bit for some extra context, I started working for Bob Wise and very shortly after I came to California from New York in 1992. And um, I worked with him. This was the era where they were first starting to do letterbox transfers so that you could see widescreen, and that was becoming a thing on home video and starting to do behind-the-scenes special features, and I got involved with him um, sort of getting caught up on all that, and I would sit with him on transfers, and then I produced a big behind-the-scenes documentary on the sound of music, and I brought up Star Trek every once in a while, and he didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, he was very uncomfortable. He He was, was, because, you know, Bob was always very much moving forward, didn't look back, but by that time he had done... 38 or 39 films. And it's the only one that he had never had a preview, the only one that he had never been able to do any work on whatsoever after a, basically an initial rough cut. And you're talking about the guy who made his name as an editor of uh, editing Citizen Kane for Orson Welles. So um, he was always more content, I think, to just let it lie. The Star Wars special editions, I think, and then the sort of this little trend of the time, um, of doing alternate versions of films. Remember the exorcist was changed. Superman was changed. Then E.T. was changed. Um, which was a little bit later, but I mean, that was going on. And so then suddenly he was a little bit open to talking about it. And I said, well, you know, I really think we might do this. And I have, you know, a, you know, very long time colleague of mine, and I think he's the guy that to produce it. And I asked Dave, "Do you want to take this on? Do you want to like go ahead and uh, work with Bob to make an approach to Paramount and
0: see if we can get this done?" It took a while, but well, I want to ask you guys because, um, you know, you look at something like Superman. A lot of these these changes weren't made necessarily for creative reasons. It was more. Uh, because at the, at the time, movies debuting on TV were, were a big deal, and they wanted to sell as much commercial time as they could. Or because of the running times, it necessitated stre- stretching it out over two days. So Superman was sort of padded, you know, to to fit a uh, right. two two night. You know, a lot of these movies. In the case of of your version of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, it wasn't to fit. It wasn't a commercial consideration. It was. Um, it came from a well, critical. Here, here was the difference. The difference was that.
3: Although we all have um, sort of um, memories of the 1979 version burned into our brains and that that's perfectly valid – it needs to be movies. honored. Nobody, I think, was rallying to say this was the movie was perfect the way it was. Right? They were rallying to say Star Wars is perfect, Superman is perfect, The Exorcist is perfect. Why mess with them? And so that's. But but nobody was really saying that about Star Trek. There was always a sense that they we wanted it to be better than it was, and that really, I think, the flashpoint for that is when they added footage into the network broadcast. People suddenly saw extra character moments and. Um, and felt, hey, this movie actually can be better. It was. It made such an impact that Paramount released that version on home video. Yeah, I was and ask a lot you of about people that, yeah. remember that as the movie. That's their version, but, right? To then them. they'll see the theatrical, and say, where are those yeah. scenes? Yeah. And so we already knew. And in fact, even um, I think we were all there together in 1991. Sit long and prosper. To sit long and prosper when they did the five movies in one day. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. But uh, at least here at the local um, L.A. showing, um, Michael Schlesinger, who we know as very much um, a historian and preservationist, um, actually was at Paramount at the time and pulled some of these trims to cut them into the film for... The screening that was done in Westwood, hmm. so that was the first time we actually got to see some extra scenes in widescreen on film projected, and uh, and that print sat around. In fact, when we first pulled the movie to show to Bob at the Directors Guild, the initial steps of talking about this, that was the print that um, that they that they, they pulled. Provided, and we had to we tell had him, hey, say, this, is this is actually not, yeah. the, but you're going to see some of the scenes we're talking about um, exploring. Um, putting back in, in addition to um, giving you an opportunity to basically find the film's rhythm that you would have had if you had been able to take it. Past What's so the first interesting
0: cut. about that version? Is that no one involved with the production was involved? You said, you know, the Roddenberry memo, but it was a TV cutter or someone at Paramount. It wasn't. It wasn't anybody. It wasn't. No, the, it wasn't anyone involved. You know, so, and it's a very sloppily a, made. But, as much as we embraced it, we're right. like, oh my god, all this legendary footage of stuff that was in the novelization. Right. It, it, you know, it was fantastic, but it's you know, the, the, you see the soundstage in the one shot and the the in the, a
1: different costume. Hey, and obviously yeah. didn't belong there.
0: What do you
2: remember about this?
1: Uh, I I do I, I don't remember where I where I heard this, but I thought that Gene had uh, had been involved in the television cut. That it was similar to the memo that he wanted, but it was the pieces that he pulled. Right. That um, <clears throat> he was very much into. He didn't feel that the film theatrical cut was the way that he uh, had enough, so he needed right. to go back. And the memo said a lot about that. Um, the other thing that was interesting, of course, as we know, is that they changed the whole memory wall scene. Where Kurt where Spock goes out to Viger, and when he leaves the Enterprise, had a different uniform, a, 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 a different, different spacesuit space space yeah. altogether. So and when they Kirk put, follows, in, him. right, Kirk follows him out in a different spacesuit. So and then there's one shot that had a lot of scaffolding and because the mat wasn't finished around yeah. it, and you can even in wide screen you'd even see a crewman opening and closing doors. But the right. point that I'm making is, is that you know we were talking about different cuts, even that theatrical version in '92. Left off the uh, uh, Kirk leaving the space right. the, the, the the Enterprise because you would see all of that and when they had it on television and it was uh, uh, um, window boxed or, or just yeah, well yeah one, when one it was full three, screen you were able, able to cut off a down. lot of the scaffolding yeah. so it made a lot of sense to have to be able to show that but well, I thought it was interesting that that's yet another. Cut at the time.
2: The, those those uh, particular shots were uh, were like an albatross. Every time someone would talk about uh, after we finished the director's edition, they said, "Well, why didn't you put in the the you know Kirk going out of the uh, out of the ship in the spacesuit?" Because it's not supposed to be in the movie. That's why.
0: Well, I want it, to talk about that, but it's, it's also <laughs> rather slow and lame looking. It's so. <laughs> awful. But let me ask you guys because I think there's a bigger issue you know that you have, uh which is of course. Um, it's very rare anything like this has ever been attempted. In the case of like the Touch of Evil restoration, Orson Welles was long dead right. when this was done. It was based on his copious notes and memos, of course, because that film had infamously been recut by the studio and actually new footage was shot um, and, uh, and Orson Welles sort of semi-disowned it I mean it's still you know genius and then there a couple, you know about I guess 10 years ago or 15 years ago there was a new guy but this was very different because you had the director who you were working very closely with yeah. in terms of the restoration and can you talk to me a little bit about sort of your memories of Bob Wise working with him his input and of course how you got Sherry Lansing to agree to finance this undertaking because of course it's not an inconsequential and Uh, uh, project, and Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, is not regarded, you know, like a Citizen Kane or like, uh, you know, a lot of films that were necessary, Casablanca, where um, you could see the studio jumping at it immediately, you know. uh, It's a very different kind of perception. Even people like Leonard Nimoy, who dismissed the movie unfairly, obviously, we Mm -hmm. all believe. Um, Tell me a little bit about what it was like working with Bob and Bob's, uh, you know, approach and having the director there to lean on for his input. Dave, you were the, you were the spearhead
2: actually dealing with the studio people on this.
3: Right, I'm going to let Dave <laughs> talk about that. I want to just say about Bob personally is that, you know, I mean, very, obviously very accomplished, multiple Oscar winner, ran the Directors Guild, was president of the Academy, was, is, and always will be, um, y- as far as I'm concerned, you know, a mentor and a model, because he never ever ceased to be a gentleman. Mm-hmm. He never was, you know. Um, I, he could he could get angry on set, and as all directors do, when they have to stay in command of the set. But he was always a gentleman, always very helpful to people, um, and just uh, really just um, you know when I think of you know how about behavior within the industry that's who... I've I, never I heard anyone them, say you know, otherwise. Model, yeah. Modeling behavior after.
1: And I'll tell you, the dealing with the studio on this project and dealing um, as the conduit between the two, there are a lot of times that, you know, the studio would, was, was being as cooperative as they could be, but they, they we were dealing with Hollywood legend, Hollywood loyalty, uh, royalty, which is Bob, and nobody would want to say no to him, and the studio would be as strong as they as they could be with us and anytime we would go back to Bob about something he would always be you know be very kind res- respectful and cooperate even when I felt at times we needed to be a little harsher or a little not harsher but a little harder and, and, and at least try and negotiate a little better at here at places not that I, I don't want to go into that but I will say that Bob was a an, uh, an incredible mentor and, and and but it was he's not who we are today he is um, truly respected in everything that he did. How and he open wrote,
0: was he to the idea of revisiting the film? Did you have to sell him on it, or was he did he embrace it fairly quickly after you first broached the subject? Well,
1: Mike, bro- Mike broached the subject, and it did take forever for Bob to even talk about it. And he finally said uh, that we should contact the studio and say, "Well, it, see it what happened
2: happens. after that first screening we did with him, right?" Uh, at the At the he, Directors Guild.
1: Right. He re- basically said, do you really think
3: we could do this?
1: And I said, yeah, yeah. I think we could. Yeah. But at the time also, I just want to point out that we were talking about other reasons to do this. One of the better reasons to do it in general was when we went to the studio, we said, we want a theatrical version print. Right. This screening we were talking about that we had for the 20th anniversary, when they went through all the prints that they had. And they said, we finally have a theatrical print for you. And we got it for you. And they gave it to us. And it was, again, the television version. With or the the ninety two cut because right. it was the best they had. Both the and, the and every one of them had the overture cut off. Right? right, that even at that point the movie just had not been in any projectable form. Mm-hmm. I even think today there's a really pink print. Yeah, the there, print that's circulating,
0: and... which we screened at the American Cinematheque for the fiftieth anniversary of Star Trek, oh, was I an I abomination. It. Know, yeah. You know, it's just it's it's totally.
3: I have to just interject one little point of history here is that there was a... One of the reasons why the movie was the way it was in 79 is because it was actually studio-mandated that the running time minus end credits be no longer than two hours, ten minutes. Right. And because... To have five showings a day. So in order to also then... Everybody was a nervous wreck over the visual effects, and you had visual effects teams working around the clock for seven or eight months. If you think about getting the team's of Star Wars and Close Encounters working together, you know, all year long to um, and spending a fortune.
1: And it was so, about
2: it was about this time in 1979, this month, mm-hmm, right. That they actually had to dive in and say, "Okay, we got to finish this movie." This was after they they fired Abel, I think, at the end of '78.
3: Right, Robert Abel, the first visual effects right. guy assigned to the project, mm-hmm.
2: and they had to start. From basically scratch.
3: And what is it, four or 500 shots, something like that? Oh my some God. It was ridiculous. So, yeah,
2: it was unbelievable. It's an extraordinary. So the idea was is that, well,
3: there's Paramount spending all this money, we better see these visual effects on the screen. Right. So, in order to get that two hour, 10 minute running time, they started pulling out character moments. Right. The idea normally would be: okay, your visual effects come in, we sem- assemble the picture, and we see what can we prune, how, what can we tighten. You know, where can we work out some beats? But they had a set. And then maybe okay, they had a slug in there. in there. There was a set effects. length
2: of the film, right? And they took out sections of of characters and replaced it with equal lengths. Of footage that was coming. Right. That was and Jerry was, that was scoring to delivered. that, wasn't he? He
0: Absolutely. was. And
3: also what they would do is um, protect themselves against the possibility that a visual effect shot would not arrive. Right. So therefore have a character, say, state the obvious. Right. So uh, just in case the visual effect is not there, right. some character is going to tell you what just happened. Right. We're out of it. Yeah. The new <laughs> right. <held. laughs> right. So just in case that shot can not show there, it, you yeah. got to explain yeah, it.
2: Yeah, right. 90's
3: so 90's it was. I mean, yeah. it, it was really just everything. Uh, it was just absolutely in almost every respect how to not make a movie. Like also writing a lot of, while you're shooting, editing, you know, before
1: you know what you have. I mean, it really was an amazing experience. But there really was a lot of concern as well because Paramount wanted Star Trek to be the new Star Wars for them. So the character moments were not as visual as all the visual effects from right. Star Wars were, and how right. so we have you know, John Dykstra they, and- right, and they, and splitting the effects, and it was that we, John Dykstra was brought on, who was working, of course, on Star Wars, and Douglas Trumbull of two thousand and one, and 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 Close, and Close Encounters, as we mentioned, but they split it with uh, Doug doing everything internal, with uh, John doing everything outside of Egypt. Is that about right, Darren? Uh,
2: pretty much. Uh, uh, Apogee did. The Klingons and the exterior of Viger, and uh, Trumbull's group did the Enterprise, Enterprise and the interior of Viger,
3: and clouds and yeah, and yeah, that kind and of stuff.
2: and and the sort of uh, animation, right? Kind yeah, the of Robert stuff.
3: McCall stuff coming. Right. You know, I mean, some it's, it's an amazing group of talent putting that well, thing together. one of the
2: one of the things that happened when uh, uh, Trumbull was finally you know brought on I mean he had been consulting with them even while Abel was uh, doing the effects and it was Trumbull who came in and saw them shooting the uh, the, the, memory, the wall. memory wall sequence and said you know he basically pulled Bob Wise aside and said I think you want to go a different direction with this it's the the physical way you're doing this doesn't seem to be working let me suggest something and so he brought in Bob McCall to visualize the lone Spock journey through the interior of Viger, and making it kind of akin to the Bowman trip through the Stargate in 2001, uh, based on the first-person experiential uh, visual style of that. And I think that sort of that moment sort of took the motion picture uh, from this. Sort of standard Hollywood sci-fi thing, and sort of bumped up the the status a little. I bit. I think it
1: shed its origins as a television pilot Absolutely. at that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. The um, also we were talking about this, the uh, the the spacesuits with that the bubble that was there that would allow for reflections, right? Uh, no, the entire reason know, is to whole, show the right.
2: reflections in Spock's face of this stuff that he's experiencing.
1: Right. It was, it was uh, phenomenal. One of, the, one of the things I wanted to point out, by the way, is that there's always been the talk for many years that Robert Abel was – that there were so many problems and that they couldn't do it. And, and really what we discovered – because I mean, we researched everything during the production and then spoke to so many people – is that his ideas were really groundbreaking – it's just that he was inventing along the way yeah. and it was taking way too much time and he had spent you a million dollars without one frame of footage being shot. Well, but it was, wasn't that he wasn't capable. It was that the schedule and what he was doing may have been way more ambitious.
2: And the studio got frightened because they yeah. hadn't seen anything.
1: Yeah, and it's it's I would have thought because I read everything that I could find on the film when I was, you know, through the years mm-hmm. that I would have we would have found more issues in that regard, but it was really surprised at the amount of uh respect and appreciation for the ideas that he had for it. Yeah. And I, I I don't know that there's much left in the film that that um that they did do in the end. Well,
0: let me take you back to Sherry Lansing oh, yeah. saying uh we're going to give you the money to do the project you know how how hard was it convincing the studio Um, how did that come about and then you know what was you were sort of like archaeologists you know having to find all these elements to to constitute this this cut so what can you tell me about sort of the genesis no pun intended
1: of this whole was it like the meeting with admiral (laughs) (laughs)
0: nagur no no this this
1: actually existed um, no, the uh, what it, what we realized is that the only voice that could really make this request is Bob, so we sat down with him and discussed it, and he wrote a letter to Sherry originally. That's that was, um, you know, I've thought about this after all this time, and it's the only film that that really didn't get completed the way I'd like, and we'd like to, you know, with with our with this team, we'd like to come in and complete the film if that would be okay with you. It's kind of the way it was presented, and the response was that she contacted contacted other people in the studio who spoke to us and you know she was saying listen of course it's star trek of course you know we have the gem of star trek it's the you know robert wise this this legend it was for you know her response to the studio was was see what you can do to make it happen and uh, with the practicalities of the studio they they did contact us and we started talking about it and and you know we we're offered uh, very little to, to do it. And I said, we can't possibly do this on film. And we came back and forth a few times. And at the time, DVD was very successful. And our thoughts were, and this is you know, with my conversation with Bob, if we can give them something that almost no one ever gets, which is a, a, a finished product that would show them what the film would be when we're finished, we could then say, let's go – finish this on film and do it correctly. So with what they had, I said, uh, let's finish it at least in standard definition, because at the time that was the hottest thing that was out there. And even then we were talking with Bob about once we're done, let's say, you know, we told them then we wanted to do it on film. We wanted to finish this film correctly, but let's finish it any way we can to get Let's it get out there. Let's get them something
2: that they can sell and make some money so, for. Well, well no, the,
1: intention, the intention wasn't really, we knew they were going to sell it. it we, for, the studio, yeah. the, for the studio it was. For the studio, for the studio it was, how can we get something to put out there? Yeah. And we were explaining that this is Bob's finished version of the movie, and Bob was saying, this is, this is it. This is what, would, you know, what I want, and this is how I want to have the, the film be from now on. And I think the, the, the perspective for the studio was, we would have another thing to release, another product, another film to release. right. And um we did go back and say, "Here it is." and they said, "Oh, great, we're going to put the dVD out. thanks yeah but and
2: giving we, giving them you know full credit, they used that to sort of uh, uh, highlight their uh, reverse release of all the films on DVD because all the films hadn't been on DVD before.
1: Yeah, they started with, they, with they 10 down, going down to 1. Mm-hmm. And the, was like I, I was wondering title. about why they yep. did that. And I'll actually tell you what, was to, what they told me, which is kind of interesting, which was that they started with 10 going down to 1 because at the time, the film transfers that they had were... It was the beginning of DVD... Mm-hmm. And the film transfers were not up to date for everything. So they realized that if they started with 10, which was the newest film, they'd have the newest transfer. Mm-hmm. And as DVD grew and they started having the numbers go down, they may be able to get more money to go do new transfers of the films. But they knew when they got to one, which is what we were doing, we helped, we helped set up uh, – created the temp for them of those, those packages. That's when they started the two-disc sets. They could then go back now up doing these special editions for each one starting with what, what mm-hmm. uh, we'd accomplished. Right, it was and then like the they pivot then, title, you know. But, and I mean,
3: also, you know, at that moment in time, the DVD divisions of the studios were the, that that was the division making the most money, yeah, right? Huge and the, business, business. And so, I mean, it's changed. It's really, really changed now. So,
1: home video is a struggle.
3: There was, you know?
1: a, to be fair, there was a there was a feeling at the time. Um, I'm not happy about it, but but there really was a feeling at a time that by doing the director's edition on DVD was the best way the film could be released in their minds mm-hmm. was that that since that's the, the cash cow of the studio is DVD we did it there great we had this great release therefore it was the best release That, that you know the best way to present the film to be the most financially beneficial we had had Thoughts and hopes of even going theatrical. Then right you know? I also
3: felt that Bob needed to see it. Bob needed to have it finished. We needed to have him screen the movie with an audience and be happy with it. Right? How involved? And so, was if we sat around waiting and waiting for mm-hmm. the money, it would have taken to do a new, basically, a new negative. Yeah. Now, now we, we don't never to do that. Now we can do a yeah. digital, right. a, you know, a digital element. How it.
0: How involved was Bob through that process? You know, was he actively engaged? Was he? You know, sort of at uh, 30,000 feet, sort of giving global notes. I mean, how, well, how we did we have an office?
3: With- mm-hmm. He would come, you know, um, sometimes more often than not. Um, I sat and watched the movie with him five different times at home, taking all of his notes. Um, and then he would come and, um, you know, and Dave set up this incredible suite of offices that they gave us. That was part of um, the deal to do the project. You know, especially since we were not given that huge a budget, but to uh, set up a suite of offices that had projection um, and that had a, a room for um, all the film elements and audio elements that were coming in that I was pulling and going through, um, and that we would look at it, and then different people involved in the production, Todd Ramsey, the editor, would come in. Leonard came in at one time and looked. Um, so uh, you know, he he was f- fully involved. Even when he couldn't be there, we had our marching orders. We knew what. His, yeah cuts were like was there that... was, uh Jerry Goldsmith was involved I would take cuts to show him and tell him that I was making some adjustments for the music and Bob wanted me to make sure that I played them for him and so um you know uh, we you know we, we had Doug trumbull involved John doxter involved everybody um i know, came i, I had...
2: specifically remember the time that uh Bob came into the office and we showed him the the titles,
1: <laughs> ah yes which <laughs> We, we had
2: we had a couple different options to show him.
1: <laughs> we had Star Trek uh, because, uh you know, the,
3: season three versus season one. The movie went out with what I call the Woody Allen credits.
0: Right, right, yeah. Um, White and black.
3: But we actually did get those, in fact, title cards, we right? Did. To, we, to got to folks scan. we got those original, we scan, got we got scanned
2: so. and uh, and they were
3: beautiful. Now and the storyboards called for a much more elaborate um, title sequence.
2: The, yeah, they had but, they had some ideas, and right. and it was uh, very uh, very elaborate, and you know by the time.
3: But this was a case where we felt like we want to kind of just keep. We want to just sort have, of get
2: right. into get into get into the story as as much as we can, and don't distract people with a lot of stuff that is confusing. Right. So and we, we had Jerry's music. We had Jerry's music, and... which is you know uh, along with the with the titles is. Uh, but is we didn't want Woody startling. Allen. We yeah. <laughs> But you know, even as as it is in the theatrical version, they're great. This is you know we have a brand new font, we have a brand new uh, look <laughs> at at, <laughs> at the future, and even with dull white text on black, it was exciting. But just
0: like a Woody Allen movie, <laughs> just like a Woody Allen movie.
2: Um, uh, so I I went in and I, I you know put a starfield behind it and uh, and uh, did a little jiggery pokery with colors and things, and we did a couple versions to show him. Um, one was uh, in the blue range and one was in the gold range.
1: I had a thought on that early on when I saw the blue range. We we had we did have a preview screening. We had 20 years of a preview screening. Right. So a lot of people had comments about how the film was. And one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest issues uh, all along was that the film was felt very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, that people felt that it just was not warm and not wasn't human. And that was in a lot general. due
2: to the video transfers being sure. terrible.
1: Yeah, they were certainly too bright. Even the the, the Blu-rays quite bright today, yeah. and that um, and also the fact that Vita is kind of
3: bluish, yeah. mm-hmm. and the uniforms are very pastel. So, right.
1: and there were a lot of computer voices and harsh you know uh, 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 sounds or lack of sounds for that point that left you with just you know. A cold feeling to right. the whole film. You didn't have then, red doors like you had. Sure, they brought them
3: back, right, later, right, to kind of open up the yeah. set, but it's like you didn't have red doors. Well, that's anything. an
0: interesting point you guys make, too, because you were able to do a lot more with the sound mix than particularly opening up the picture. There was only so much you could do in terms of. Uh, opening up the negative and, and but uh, the sound mix is very robust in terms of what you did and were able we to were, do. We can get into that. I well, we want to hear down to yeah, I
3: the credits. I want to, to, the <laughs> the the
1: and I want to talk about the, need, the, so. the, the, the office setup because there was something we, unusual about that.
2: So we, we showed him the blue version and we showed him the gold version. And I think we were, we were all sort of mixed about it. We, we, we could go either way. Um, I kind of like the gold version a little better. But yeah, I
3: kind of thought, it, well, they switched from gold to blue in the original series yeah. to the third season, and it's like this is like the continuation right. of that. And the movie's kind of blue. But so we showed both to Bob. I kind of felt
1: that I kind of felt that the gold was right. a gold standard. <laughs> it was just, it was just that, that what we were doing here was something that was special.
2: So we asked him. So what do you think? Do you have any any opinions on it? What what would what would you like it to be? And he sat there a little bit and he thought, hmm. I think I think we should go with the with the gold. It has more balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he loved the prestige of it. Uh, that's the thing, funny. the Which thing was went, good enough for me.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, we
3: clearly. Yeah, he I the also final word. loved when we would show him scenes and he would hear something go by and he would say, "Don't we already know this?" Right. You know, it's like at the end of the sick bay scene where Kirk has to summarize a machine planet, you know, sending a machine to Earth looking for its creator, you know, and he, Bob said, Don't we already know this? Yeah. Like, okay, we can cut it. So he, he was he was he was
2: thinking through the movie all the time and trying to rearrange things and, and find ways to, you know, get into something, get out of something and make it, you know.
0: Well that begs the question, you know, for you guys from a personal perspective. How great was it? Here you are working with the guy who cut Citizen Kane, who made The Day the Earth Stood Still and The Sound of Music, and just, it's like, it, you must have to pinch yourself, you know, to say, oh my God. By the way, the
3: um, room that the movie was edited in originally, in 79, is the same room that
0: Citizen Kane was cut in. Oh, that's wild. I did, I did yeah, not know that. Because it was the Archeola. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy.
1: I wow. want to, before we move on from that, I want to get back to the office for for a minute because we did something that was, was different, and... It's important to me because the the goal that we had from the start was we we did not want to use any technology that would present a result that didn't look like it was completed in seventy nine. We were making a nineteen seventy nine film. Years later, we were just opening the, the production and uh, completing a film. So even though we had you know visual effects that were CGI and and um, you know so much so many possibilities. We tried to look at it as how as how could we have done it originally? How it would have been done originally, practically. But the point that I was making, I was trying to make, is that we were in the Hager Building, which was the editing building, and there were all different different uh, productions in the works. But we were cre- we were cutting an epic film, and when, when I had many talks with Bob, we were talking about this is a big film, and since we're not cutting on film itself, we need to remember that it's it needs to be taken in in a theater or at least have that perspective of being an epic film. So we came to the conclusion that when we were setting up the uh, the editing uh, room, we mounted a projector and we're projecting across, I'd say it was about a 14-foot wall, mm-hmm. so that even while we were cutting the picture and, and Bob or anybody else would come in to review it, we were watching it really, hey. really big for that room, uh, for, for a film like this. And, you know, I'd had many talks about editing over the years, and when something smaller... You know, for a television. Well, you know this Usually. from all the editing that you do. Yeah, you but I'm, how, I'm just saying, I, a I, I, small
3: screen and your eye can accept faster cuts,
1: right? So, so... It, it's it's like between MTV, where you have quick cuts from tele from from everything that the people are cutting for small screens, and that those people are going and cutting films, but the, but uh, to to movies where things go by very quickly and visual effects where people are sitting in front of computer screens. The sensibility was to keep things that tight, whereas we had to remember, and this was what Bob would remind us, is that this is a big epic film for, for theaters. And when we made – when we projected it on the wall, it enabled us to let the shots have their time.
0: Was there anything he wanted to do that you guys just weren't able to do at the time, either because of budget or because of just simple uh, you know, certain things you, you just couldn't do?
3: Yes. One thing I, that just
0: popped into my mind
3: was that he wanted a cut to Decker after Aylea heals Chekhov, mm-hmm. and we couldn't find a piece of film for that. That's one thing that just popped into my mind. Maybe we can go back and look at it now and we find it. But uh, he, he wanted a cut to Decker observing that.
1: I mean there were a few things that that even standard definition would never show that were part of the intent. So I'm hoping that those things where we have the higher resolution. I also we'll remember other productions coming in, seeing that yeah.
3: setup, rather envious and say, wow, you know, it's like. Well, they asked why. Yeah, never, never, yeah why, why are you why, doing yeah. this? Yeah. And then, why, and why
2: then are after the, we told them, they said, oh, that." That makes sense. makes sense. I mean, I think
3: we would have been maybe too tempted to cut it too too tight. tight. And when you have things like some of the way that um, we just lost Richard Klein, the DP. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful uh, fellow um, who we got together with every so often. Um, But some of his compositions. And then when you have Doug Trumbull's effects, Doug always made shots that could live on the screen 30, 40 seconds. And your eye would not you know, make you feel like it's fake. And so you wanted to sort of honor that, just make sure we kept the basic approach to the movie, Um, although we did do some tightening, but we didn't want to lose basically that scope and that grandeur, which at least in my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of people share it, it's the only time
0: I think Star Trek ever really achieved that cinematically. Well, it's so funny you say that because I think, you know, for people who are dismissive of the movie, um... They've never seen it on the big screen. They've only, the only seen yeah, it, it belongs there. on TV or on on DVD or VHS. And when you've seen the film, you know on the big, it's a whole different movie. And right. I love the fact you talk about the editing room setup and um, you know Trumbull's effects. It, it, it's cinema. It is the motion picture. It's not the home video. It's not Star Trek the home video. It's Star Trek the motion picture. You know, it's sort of Star Trek writ large. And and that's what's so magnificent about this movie. And you mentioned about the sound earlier, and I think
2: that is another component that suffered from the original theatrical. Um, because, of course, the sound department is the last department to sort of have their say in a film. And when the post production schedule was so short yeah. on the original theatrical, they got really shortchanged because the sound department has to wait until the picture is locked. Until they can do their sound work and Especially do their the editing. visual effects, you don't Especially know. Especially when in the sound too. So. so unfortunately, a lot of that stuff was just not done on the original run. And Ed- it was yeah. so
1: chaotic at the time that there were sections that were done that didn't get used. Right. So right. we actually, yeah, designed, when we reopened it, yeah. it we Almost. actually yeah. found design pieces. Yeah, all we to do is plug them in. A that were
2: that they didn't that they didn't. They get had some to.
1: of the best uh, you know
3: sound mixers in business working on it. And who's it? We just lost. Also, was it Frank Serafini? Frank Serafini. Yeah, actually, we just lost him. Mark Mangini. I mean, so we had some great, but they had they were very frustrated because they actually never got to do their job.
1: Yeah. I really need you know? to I really need to bring in a point that we haven't discussed yet. That's really important, and it's that in dealing with Bob, there was one thing that. That I have to say is just v- v- incredibly important and powerful for us, and that's that Bob didn't treat this as he, we're reopening production of his film and he's dictating how things are going. He really listened to us, and we, we were colleagues in regard to our love and our respect for Star Trek and bringing in and listening to, of, of course, your ideas, Mike, and your your ideas, Jordan, about how we can bring this back to being – You know, to bring it into Star Trek realm. Well, he's probably
0: also a guy who never thought about this film in 20 years, where you guys have been doing nothing but thinking about (laughs) it. But I think that he also
3: knew that we didn't want to change its essence. We simply wanted to improve it. You know, it's kind of like um, you've got a really good recipe but it's just a matter of the spices and just it's the right touch and the right cook in the kitchen, but you don't want to change it make it a different recipe. We weren't trying to serve a different dish. It still had to be Star Trek, the motion
1: picture. It just had to be a finished Star Trek, the, the motion picture. The souffle picture. had to bake, yeah. I right. remember the conversation that, that I believe you had with him that was really important was the viewer-off scene where where is yelled at by Kirk about mm-hmm. turning the viewer off. And... On a script page, and you don't know anything about Star Trek, that is cut and dry. Okay, that's what we're doing. And I remember the conversation about you know they've been through so much together as it is that that was almost uncharacteristic of of Kirk. Admiral uh, Kirk. No, and no, I remember no, you, no, have you debated that. that and I don't. I, I, remember I, think,
3: you I think we us, all have <laughs> uh, rhythm, rhythm, <laughs> rhythmically, <more> <laughs> rhythmically as a just as a movie as a standalone movie, it's fine. But the problem is that you, this is now... The, they made a big deal of the fact that that rec deck scene is the first time we're going to see the entire Enterprise crew assembled, right? We've never saw them in the TV series. Now we're going to see 400 and something people all in one room. Do you really want a bridge officer to hesitate? Do you want your whole crew to see a bridge officer hesitate when she's given an order? And it really was bad that it was also a uh, African-American female. Um, you know, so it's like... Kirk is trying to get the morale of this crew right. and uh, make sure that they're behind him and that that, that that there's trust in him. Well, it's like if they see a bridge officer hesitate, a seasoned bridge officer, right. you know um, so and, and
2: show you know Kirk basically you know having snipper snip head off
3: right in, in public as it were you know yeah. So I mean that just it ain't cool. Not at all. <laughs> so it's like, and you, this was the thing about people behaving more like they really should be behaving. But that was one
2: of the things that you and, and Bob had talked about a lot, is that the character arcs, specifically of our main characters um, had to go, uh, had to feel uh, correct. And even though Kirk is sort of portrayed as being out of his element, he was a little bit snippy with everybody and, and overly sort of grumpy. And yeah, he mm-hmm. came off
1: as as angry to it, a certain yeah. degree d- during the original film, and i always it always felt hard for me and when, and after watching the director 's edition, I was surprised, and I think I even realized it finally because I was so close to the whole thing. I think it was at the at the the Paramount Premiere mm-hmm. that I suddenly realized our captain 's back it didn 't mean they didn 't lose the aspect of being, uh, being uncomfortable, right. but the fact is the the person we grew up with the person the character that we loved was now more there than the, the uncomfortable person that was misplaced, it seemed, originally. And that's where I felt that...
2: And it's just uh, tiny really little changes a, yeah, that helps It's helps such
3: a it. little shame. Moment. He didn't like him... Um, I'm trying to think exactly what the word was. He didn't like him, like... Um, snapping at people. Right. Snapping at people. He says he snaps
0: at people too much. It's such a shame that the audience for, for, for the film couldn't all be at that Paramount premiere when you debuted it because, again, you talked about the sound. It, it, it's so impactful. You know, it, yeah. it just elevates the movie so dramatically in terms of the mix that you guys did. When you were looking, did you have a chance to review all the dailies? Did the dailies still exist? Or were you just working from original camera negative and trims?
1: The, we, we were able to go back and pull anything that we wanted, but we yeah. were certainly had budgetary constraints. Mm. There and were again, only a handful of shots that we absolutely needed to find and we looked through all definitely the Definitely budgetary of constraints and, and also um
3: again, not wanting to open up the can of worms that would result in us changing the you seventy nine was the rough cut of the movie. That was basic yeah, that's so true. it's like you know, there were a few things that would have just helped for clarity. So, but we didn't want to go in too far down the rabbit hole of you know changing everything. There are things we did look for, didn't find, as I said. But um, um, and then, but um, but basically, you know, it was all available. But boy, that would have
1: been a rabbit hole to go down. And and also, as Dave said, the budget wasn't there to do that. We also found that uh, we had a hard time finding any audio for uh, of on set recordings. Mm. Also, there was a lot of uh, projectors and things going on on the bridge that were causing noise. That that a lot of the the lines were eighty uh, yard.
0: Well, why don't you explain why that was?
1: Well, the, the every every little view screen uh, for the uh, in the on the on the bridge had a little physical was film, it eight millimeter, yeah. film sixteen br- or eighteen or eight it, wasn't it, it? sixteen. I, maybe. I think
2: there were sixteen. measure so <coughs> all of those all
1: projectors of the displays, running, yeah. which of course meant that every take you had to pull these which, things back and make sure that you had. They were looped, but it had was, to be prepared because to make sure they that,
0: didn't want the paintings that were in the original set, you know? Right. It, it, it was This is part of bringing Star Trek into the future, but at the time, this was the technology they that's, had. That's right. what you did. You know, you projected you it, did. but it made sound a bit. Then you had to light the bridge so that all those screens showed up. Right. And... Um,
3: you know, and I don't know if they would have had to have had any kind of synchronization issues, right? All the sync well, of the yeah, camera and, shooting would have always. to be in sync with the projections and of the And sp- because and of that, just,
2: because so. of the low light in the bridge, that's why you have the split diopter shots mm-hmm. right. for the the lack of depth of focus. See
3: the cast. It's, it probably was an amazing experience to spend probably more time on one scene than they would spend on the whole episode exactly. back in the sixties, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's a it's, really
1: good point. It's also interesting that um, when when Decline was in there doing the color correction on that one on, the, on our original version, the the bridge is so dark and it's, it's actually much more moody and much more uh, much different than any other video transfers that have been out for the film. But part of that was the, the set really was dark to bring the projectors out to mm-hmm. make sure that they were visible. Right. And everyone's so used to the bright bridge that has been on the other films that I think all the transfers are trying to make it bright and bright and everything. It but it, it actually had a really three. beautiful moody right. feel. That made anything that was lit up more intense, even the spock uh, beehive uh, control panel i
2: i want to I want to bounce right back to the the sound a little bit. We had a friend of mine, Chuck Michael, come in Chuck and an awesome and job. bring a, uh, a a small team of uh, sound editors to finally put all this together and you know bring out the little bloopy bits of the Klingon uh, display and uh, and and uh, you know take out the walking on wooden planks of the bridge uh, floor and Sort of, uh, you know, incorporate some of the lovely sort of in the background the original series sound effects just a little bit, just to, to sort bring of bring it alive. It, give, bring it alive, and but also include all the sound effects that the previous team had had brought in for the original release that were never used.
0: Well, it's interesting. You also made the swap of the use the original uh, Red Alert uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, from the TV or something series closer. To it, it was something in, close, in, in the vein closer. of that, replacing yeah. the sort of. And the computer voice, those are interesting. Well, was also I was trying
1: to it closer to
0: uh, That was, uh, I assume, you, more you guys than, than Bob. Well,
2: and... the, no, actually, because because of uh, Bob's edict of, you know, warming up things and making the difference between the emotionless V'ger and the, you know, our human characters okay. on the Enterprise, the, you know, the computer voice was something that was very inhuman. And we we in in a couple spots Very we brought in German. An, we, we brought in an actual you know uh, an actress to humanize these announcements. Right. You know where we kept them.
3: Interesting.
2: Um, but in in other spots the computer
3: is just again saying stuff that we already know. This was one of the things that was kind of like the Gene versus Bob, right? Gene right. really liked the computer voice, yep. I think, and then, you know. But I mean, it it went along did. It, the long way to making the enterprise not feel like the comfortable functional yeah it wasn't home. That, right, it right. wasn't home,
1: um, like it felt in the TV show. Right. Plus, there was always chatter that said there's more people there, there's more activity going on, the human chatter. Well, we did the, find the... that, remember? We no, did find like, a lot now, of the like techno that...
3: babble stuff that's supposed to be just in the background. the back? oh, The original okay. version it of the film, like... film has none of that. You basically yeah. have a nothing. quiet bridge. <laughs> with they laid room tone over it every once in a while if something really was important, there was a beep or something. They did do a lot of work on things like the wormhole. That they did a finished sound mix on, but which we took a little bit further because we really wanted to feel exhausted because that's the, the first that.
2: sequence that they finished right. for the show
3: West mm-hmm. reel. that's right so that had surround effects and other you know, yeah. things already in place um, but uh, the bridge really suffered it just is so it just sits there lifeless
0: right, know, I got a couple know. of things I want to ask you because we're almost out of time but um the uh Obviously, we talked a little bit about the CG and marrying that to the practical effects and not doing anything that they couldn't have done in 79, just using CG. Can you talk particularly, Darren, you were the visual effects supervisor, about working with foundation imaging and some of those remarkable effects and going back to the storyboards and trying, you know, particularly that magnificent ending that you guys have visualized?
2: We talked about this in our uh, episode about the novelization that I I had read the section of them walking on the surface of the Enterprise Hull and seeing the uh, V'ger Bridge uh, appear and everything. And I thought that was amazing. And I read this before I saw the movie. And when I saw the movie, I went, "Okay, well, this isn't really what they described in the book. But okay, I suppose. But when we got... You know, sort of rolling and saw the original uh, uh, boards for all of this. A stuff. lot of art for that sequence. A actually, lot of and stuff. All they, of it was, all yeah, of it was so. amazing. Harold Michelson's it, stuff. I mean, unwound. Harold Michaelson's and and all the guys that at Astra, the Able Company, um, had you know sort of figured out stuff to do this, and then later Trumbull's group figured out other ways to make theirs work.
3: Captain. Plasma, energy, combination.
1: Don't interfere with it.
0: Absolutely, I will not interfere. No one interfere.
3: He doesn't seem interested in us. Only the ship.
2: but it was so much fun I, you know brought in my old friend Ron Thornton may he rest in peace who uh, ran foundation imaging and uh, his great we had a great little crack team of artists working on this stuff and they really, they really stepped up to the plate. My goodness! And we have
3: to say that at that twentieth anniversary screening we did at the DGA, they came. and we, we brought part of it, the dual purpose of it was to show them this on the big screen in thirty-five mm mm-hmm. and say this is what your stuff has to look like. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to live side by side with this. We can't and tell. They any, had just any done
0: Babylon Five, or they were doing Babylon. Well, no, 5? they were
2: they were working on Voyager at the
1: time. Voyager,
2: They had been, you know, they had been tops in the TV realm forever. You know, Darren, for years.
1: We'd, we'd watch their work, but when one of the things that Darren brought to us was their Voyager crash uh, mm-hmm. that they did, where the Voyager crashes on a uh, uh, planet with ice, snow planet. and it just absolutely blew us away because we, you know, we're on the verge of saying, "Is this a model?" Yeah. and just to know that it wasn't uh, that was and, I, and I've also been, watched all of their work through Babylon 5 and everything else but to see that it progressed to that point and that they got it and they were fans no yeah, question they were
0: passionate absolutely. fans absolutely so they were giving
1: and you uh, we
2: got we got the the fan, the, the most fans uh, from the entire company uh, to work on this right. because and, was, and Bob was up there a couple and Bob, times yeah, and yeah we brought Bob we would, up there and we see we
3: see them all working and we actually pulled the Enterprise model a few, the, few models the were the pulled. I remember yeah.
0: Yeah. that that was really amazing. it was
2: an amazing time and uh you know, it's still, it's another life in in my mind. It's, it's someone else lived this wonderful life. Um, Don't make everybody jealous. But it was, no, it was amazing. And, you know, I, I would constantly, you know, go there. I went there, you know, like four days a week and, and watched what they were doing and, and you know, I was also working on shots of my own. But it was, you know, going up to them and saying, okay, well, this is, this looks really good, but it looks too good. Think of how they would do this on an animation stand, you know. Uh, Think of how a model would look being photographed at eight feet long. Right. You know, and uh, that was that was a little bit challenging to get them in the sort of that mindset to it's not making it worse than they're used to. It's it's just there's a different set Mm. of. Requirements that you yeah. have with optical work. Sure.
1: Also, coming back to the epic size and the the well, looking sure. at it from that well, perspective sure. is just to have it.
3: But that's why having them at that screening I think mm-hmm. was so important. It and was there were some other little bits of verisimilitude that we had, such as the moire patterns. We actually found the original. We found the original moire so patterns. You scanned them, and, uh-huh. and then so when we needed, and to we enhance used those. That, we had the lightning the, bolts, lightning bolts for, for the original, mm-hmm. the right, chamber, right, and right.
2: those are all the original elements yeah. right. and some great stuff. And they did great job. Uh, uh, you know, uh, mimicking the actual you know, the V'ger weapon el- elements and things like that. And
3: one particular shot of that wing walk sequence of um, which was storyboarded and it was very obvious. Thank God. We found the plate for it. Thank God. Yeah. And it had that wonderful shot with the Enterprise on the screen right. Mm-hmm. And, then and, and walking, the bridge yeah. sort of
2: drooping uh, moving toward us. Right. With the low angle across. shot. Of, it
3: had to be the low angle of them walking we, across. We were, able we, match
2: the, we were able to match the uh, storyboard no, f- perfectly. The, and it I looked think great. that
3: we could have gone crazy with that because certainly it was storyboard where it was going to, the lightning was going to illuminate the chamber that right. they were in and show all kinds of projected holographic things and all other kinds again, of that. But
2: again, we're not trying right. to change the original. Right. We're that just would trying have so to make it
3: make it finished.
2: Make it a- as it appeared in your mind after you watched it. Right. right. That's the yeah.
1: sequence that I think will benefit the most from the minute the Orfus opens when we get it to uh film res. Let me ask you. You know, I want to go there,
0: but before I ask you about you know what's next and you know uh, what's it going to take to get a a 4K theatrical version done, uh, I do want to ask you what sort of Bob Wise's uh, uh, response was when all was said and done, and you had that wonderful screening at the Paramount lot, and this the work was complete. You know what? I mean that must be remarkable after all these years.
1: Yeah, I was about to talk about the photo. I, I spent years with Bob. During this, before this, after this, and I stayed till he till he passed. And uh, it's funny, Bob, being who he was, smiled a lot, enjoyed a lot of you know events, and I got to realize that there was a real smile that he had, and there was kind of the I'm I'm on camera, I'm around, I'm I'm just enjoying this, but there was a genuine smile that I that I've only seen a few times, and when he. When we were at the premiere, and he was standing up at the podium talking, he had that that real genuine smile that sent chills down my spine in a positive way, I had goosebumps everywhere that I saw, and I just said, "Wow!" After after all these years, he's so touched and just really, for the first time, felt not, not just not just that it was done, but just a, a relief and joy about how much that f- film. Had improved, And he loved the fact that he would not forever be judged by the 79 version, that now his legacy with Star Trek would be this version and this film and that this would be forever appreciated as the movie, the film that he wanted to make and that he was so happy with the team. And I have to tell you, um, I didn't have a camera at the time. Paramount Publicity got a shot of him smiling, and it's on my wall, and it'll always be there, and I I just get touched every time I see it because I know that that's the—I'm so happy, like— it was the look, of, uh,
2: look of uh, the, an immense weight being lifted
3: from yes, him. Yes, there Absolutely. you go. He, he, but I mean, and just, I think he said either in an interview or at, or that night, that I, say, I never thought I would be happy with this film, but I'm happy with this film. Yeah. and and to have the whole cast and a lot of the crew mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Katzenberg, right? Yeah, it, you yeah. know, um, who was, all come. It's
0: worth mentioning what Jeffrey's role was again for the audience right, that I may he was not one know of the
3: people with the sort of like production supervisor and held it people all
0: together through all the troubles. Yeah, it was one. He, he had was assigned been to the working film, for yeah. Charlie Bluehorn This was like his first big responsibility. Is, there is
2: a a title card that exists somewhere that says actually produced by Jeffrey Kazin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I got to ask you
0: last I, thing I before gotta... we wrap up, which is going to be what's it going to take to sort of get this version, uh, a new you know to you know out for the 40th or, or probably not the 40th, but sometime in the future where you can do the sort of final iteration, theatrical version in 4K, and then. Uh, also, you know, you, if you want to talk about those wonderful bonus features that you created for the DVD and, you know, uh, there's some great stuff about Phase 2 and about what it took to do the restoration, um, if you can sort
1: of lay, lay the table for that. I want to go back to right after theatrical, right, right after the release. Uh, Bob was with us for a few years beyond that. And he saw that um, the studio kind of put it out there, but, they, but it wasn't pushed like a, like here's Robert's final or, or finished version of the film and he had had me go back to the studio a few times to say hey can we get this this theatrical going uh, or at least the, fork, the 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 negative so that the film could live on and always it was like the uh, the response was we can't do that right now mm-hmm. and i still remember sitting with him at, at in, in at uh, his home and he said no matter what dave you got to make sure this happens I, I need this i know i need to know and everyone needs to see my finished version, and I can't let it just sit with that DVD. And I mean, even in the studio, I think put out a—I don't know what, what it was—if they put out a the first high def of the the theatrical. Mm-hmm. But I know that that he was he was frustrated because it was being treated as if. His final cut wasn't the wasn't that it was a, 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 a,
2: a bonus offering. Well, that right it now was a it bonus. only lives on DVD and, and is a
0: bonus offering right. on the on the streaming not the streaming me, the uh, da- digital download. You and can and look at
1: it. And he looked at me and said, "I need you to promise, Dave, you're going to make this happen." And I said, "Every time I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to make sure that we can do it." And when we did the film, as I said, we we always intended this from the start that we were going to do this as a as a feature. So all of the effects work was designed with a resolution for film. Mm-hmm. All of the, the edits were, were completed with uh, us having Complete the material yeah. Yeah, to make sure that we could do the, 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 the cut. Because we knew even at that time we were just going to go back and do it over on film. We
2: have all the assets.
1: Yeah. Everything was made sure, We made sure that everything would be available. And there's been, there was a lot of talk that people have said over the years that, well, it was only done on standard. No, we, it, was always, it was always designed. One of,
2: one of the great things that I've found over the years after we uh, released the director's edition was that there's a lot more positive opinions of the film in the universe now than there were before.
0: I think you got a lot of critical acclaim. I mean, when this came out, if I remember, the, the, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Well, and the response was general. people who had a negative opinion about the movie suddenly realized there is no comparison. Well, people who had a negative opinion on, you know, special editions,
2: specifically about special editions of Star Wars movies, they said, this is the way you do a special edition. Well, because there was a reason for because this to Because there was exist. a reason and there was an honoring of the original and not just something new and shiny. Plus you know. it all
1: matched. Our goal was to, to have something that you couldn't really tell what we did. Well, exactly. I think one of the greatest compliments we received was when we went to Comic-Con and previewed the trailer. And I remember reading the reviews uh, of the trailer where they said it was a great trailer, but there was no new footage. And we had about 12 new shots in <laughs> yeah, there right. that we had changed. And, it, in, you know, it's kind of funny. On a on a business side, you could the more flashy you are, the, the more your career goes – the point was we just wanted to make sure that the film is what mattered. And the compl- best compliment is that nobody saw anything different, but they yeah. enjoyed it. And then even when they the, saw so the director's edition, a lot of comments were – I didn't feel like there was any like, feel anything differently, but the whole film was better. Yeah, I just it,
2: it feels like it flows better, and I don't know why. Right, and that's <laughs> right. It's, it, Jerry that's felt that too when he yeah. saw
3: those scenes that were shortened. But uh, when I told him, "Okay, this is how I'm going to do this," so I'm going to cut the music down first, then we'll cut to the yeah. picture of the music which made it have a very natural right. rhythm. And, you know, and he, it feels and right. And he says, oh, they should
1: make old movies that way. <laughs> this, is, this is the only way the film should be appreciated as a finished film. Someone recently asked me about a work cut of... Is there, You know, I want to see a release of the work print of the film. Well, there is. I said, you have, <laughs> yeah. You've been watching it you since '79." Yeah. <laughs> and the new Blu-ray is the work print of what the film is. And to really, really watch motion picture, you need to watch the director's... Well, like, I, I think on this 40th
0: anniversary... Uh, I'm sure everyone hopes that the studio will eventually uh, find the money to give you guys to, to take this project to the next level and, 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 and finish it. We stand ready. Well, Which you know, be, we went uh, through the whole thing where HD
3: became part of our lives, Blu-ray became part of our lives, and then that came crashing down. <laughs> yeah. So now everything's digital, it's streaming, but it's gotten a lot easier. So now we're not really hamstrung by what we originally presented was a 35 millimeter negative budget.
1: In '99, so if you but doing that
3: that has become much easier. Right now, we can do digital intermediate. So,
1: but I I also want to bring up the fact that we're now in a time of uh, better technology, and Bob was always embracing the newest of newest technologies. And with HDR, where we can get black to be really black, but bright, people are not addressing how bright something can become. And I just get excited at the thought of, uh, you know, the probe on the bridge scene in Dolby Vision, adjusting it as it would be in in reality as opposed to, you know, what you would expect in the theater because we can now reach those new levels. It's perhaps
3: of catalog science fiction movies, the one that's the most ripe and then stands to benefit the most from, from HDR from and Dolby that, Vision and from, and from tech, tele- technology now, so it
1: could Wait, be we actually.
0: hope we'll see that day come very sooner than later. Because uh, it's you, what you did was remarkable, and you know I think a new iteration uh, would be even more remarkable if you get the chance to finally finish what you started. Well, as Kirk ten said, years ago, it was fun. And I want to thank uh, Mike and Dave for being here. And you as a special guest, Darren. Well, you weren't really co-host <laughs> today. You got to be a special guest since you worked on this magnificent project. I am honored. So I want to remind our audience that uh, you can listen to truck Treksports, wherever you listen to the podcast, every Sunday night at 1701. Hours and don't forget to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you have comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes, you can reach us at Twitter at uh, Inglorious Trek or on Instagram at Inglorious or at Facebook at uh, Facebook.com backslash Inglorious Trek. And look for us at www.
2: Oh yeah, yeah and, uh, at The
0: website Inglorious uh, TrekExperts or IngloriousTrek uh, dot com, and uh, you can also get some great Inglorious Trek swag on the website as well. And uh, listen to our sister podcast, Disco Nights, if you're a Star Trek Discovery fan. And uh, we will uh, see you next week for an all-new episode. And our monthly celebration of Star Trek The Motion Picture 40th Anniversary will continue in future weeks. So thank you again for joining us. And keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Shh!